Hello, Hello yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie. She had to start again because she called me JD Poo and didn't like it. <laughs> I just thought that was the lamest thing I've ever said and I've said some lame <sighs> things. How are you? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling high vibes today. I've been a bit flat the last few times we've recorded because I've just been a bit overwhelmed. Pregnant. I'm not pregnant, <laughs> which is also great. So if anyone was waiting for a pregnancy announcement, nah, still not sure what happened for that week or so there where I was just off. I think my PMS is getting worse with age and the more children I have like remember when we first started this I used to almost roll my eyes at you because you'd get like quote unquote hormonal I'd be like oh yeah I'm a bit irritable the day before my period and then everything's fine I'm oh god it's rocking me more and more with every cycle how do you think I feel if you started on that wavelength I am like on the weekend and I'm sorry if this is too much information, but whatever. That's why you listen. Yeah, I know. I was laughing with Greta out in public, laughing, laughing, laughing. And I've already got a little bit of incontinence when I'm laughing and I've got a full bladder. I went to the toilet and my period was through my white shorts. It was absolutely everywhere. I didn't have my body bodies on just in case everyone's <laughs> freaking out thinking that that's what it was. No, I didn't know. And it was filled. Now, I don't usually even fill a tampon. And it's been five days of full heaviness, like bad, bad mood swings. and So literally the introduction of your period to you this month was flooding your shorts. Yeah. That's brutal. Yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? And I could feel, you know how you get your pre-symptoms of like just the mood and feeling really tired. I'm like, okay, it's coming, it's coming. And then boom. But mine went for like 10 days this time. Like you're basically due for your next cycle one time. Like that, ne- that nearly dates back to my previous cycle. Do you reckon it's the moon? I don't know what it is. I was blaming it on the time of year. You know, I've woed and woed on about November all month, but we're into December. Happy summer. How are we feeling about December? It's, you know, it's summer here and it has been absolutely pouring for days. Like we're meant to live in paradise and then all of a sudden it gets to actually summer when it's meant to be nice weather and it doesn't stop raining. I need that keratin treatment in my hair. Oh my God. I've just had a slick bun. I've been using a little mum hack out there. Have I already said this? No, say I'm it not again sure. anyway. I spray hairspray onto a toothbrush and that's how I slick back it's my angel hairs. <laughs> But he doesn't brush his teeth a lot, apparently. No, so he we know. share a toothbrush anyway. Is that weird? No, nah, I don't know whose toothbrush I pick up. I just watch. But anyway, I'm, you've got to make sure you put your hairspray toothbrush in another area of your vanity. Oh, um, I'm so glad you said vanity. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, oh, we're weird today. Um, Anyway, speaking of December, Elf on a Shelf, yay or nay? Okay, I think it it, it comes down to, like, tricking your kids, but mine are old enough to know that he is me and I am him and they're just like, what? What are you doing? So I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm not doing Elf on a Shelf until I'm literally forced 
riddled with guilt by my children because like it's the start of December now. We don't know when we're moving into our new place. So we have no Christmas tree. We do not have a decoration up anywhere. We don't have Elf on a Shelf. They're not even four and two yet. Like they don't know what's happening. But can I just say you can pick up a Christmas tree and move it into your other house. I have already moved twice in three months. I'm about to move again. I am not lugging some half dead tree. If you get it too early, it's so so get dead by one. Christmas anyway. I did because I'm not here this Christmas, touch wood, hopefully, and I don't get locked down. But I just got a fake one from Kmart and it is looking mighty fine. Actually, rude or fabulous, someone wrote in because I was writing on Instagram that I'm not doing Elf on the Shelf until I'm forced. And someone wrote in saying that their five-year-old son asked if the elf was coming to his house and if they were doing Elf on the Shelf this year. And the mum turned around to him and said, look, the elf can come, but you do know that the elf reports back to Santa every day about your behaviour. And the boy turned around and said, nah, I don't think I want the elf to come here. I just love the insight. It's It's so good. And also on that note, I have a mum hack because I gave my children their first chocolate slash lollipop, whatever the hell they got in their Christmas calendar this morning. Did you do a homemade one? Oh, come. I do not have time to do a home. And kudos to anyone that does. Like, And good on you because it's probably felt or not chocolate. (laughs) But for me, it's just Cadbury chocolate and lollipops and they ripped it open and then Yumi had a meltdown because she wanted not one but five and it was not worth the stress with already the morning stress of school. So mum hack. Give the chocolate in the afternoon. But then are they hyper for bed? No, in the afternoon, like after yeah. school, like three or four. Yeah. Before dinner, there's their little treat and then they are a little jacked up and then they can have their dinner, get in the bath and go to our bed. Now we will get into today's episode. It's a little bit more serious than normal and trigger warning, we do talk about child abuse and sexual assault in this episode. We chat to Sarah from Secure Foundations. She has a background as a child practitioner and sexual abuse investigator and now is a parenting coach to help parents online to raise emotionally intelligent and resilient little humans. Um, So we chat all about, I guess, risk reduction in terms of child safety and how we can have open communication with our kids about their bodies, about consent. So, yeah, just a warning that this episode might be triggering for some listeners. Yep, and we hope you guys get something out of it. Enjoy. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. We're really excited about this discussion. We think it's a really important topic and I guess more important than ever with recent things that have been happening in Australia. So can you start us off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your background and why you do what you do? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm Sarah Belitho, the founder of Secure Foundations, which is a parent education community online, helping parents and carers of children aged 0 to 5 to really build their relationships around connection, helping to understand child development and helping to coach parents around um, responding to behaviours and tricky situations with a bit more compassion and connection, basically. The reason that children aged 0 to 5 are my biggest passion is because prior to doing this, I used to work in child protection. I was an investigator for child sex abuse. I worked in a joint task force with federal and state police. 
and worked with sex offenders in sex offender management and did a lot of work in mental health. And what I was finding across all of these populations was that nearly all of the people that I was coming across had adverse early childhood experiences from that 0 to 5 kind of age group. Do you mean the offenders themselves or the victims? Yeah, so the offenders, the parents in the child protection system, yeah, people who had committed offences against children, lots of people with complex mental health, complex ill mental health, I guess, had all had like some kind of experiences in their early years. So I went on this mission about trying to understand attachment and trying to understand like brain development in those early years to try and help equip parents to, I guess, just raise more emotionally intelligent and more well-adjusted, resilient kids. And that's kind of become what I feel like is now my life mission. (laughs) And I'm like now studying a master's in children's play therapy to kind of tie it all together. So that's kind of where I came from. Well, aren't you a fabulous human being? Oh, thank you. We're we're all a bit fabulous, aren't we? Yes. Yes, we (laughs) are. I like to think so. Great answer. (laughs) I guess our intention behind this, and I know this topic is a little bit off, the Beyond the Bump podcast kind of usually talks about. But we do want to keep this kind of lighthearted. In no way is this about pointing fingers, blaming or trying to make parents feel any more shit than they already do. Like we, I already <laughs> know firsthand that there's enough parent judging going on and that's not what this is about. But, you know, some of the things I do chat about, I do just encourage people to think a little bit differently and to actually think a bit more mindfully about the things that they do both online and offline that can have an impact on children's safety and how we can actually think about these things in a different way to try and give our kids that kind of safe start. Absolutely. And it's an incredibly important topic. So we are really thankful that you are here today. So let's get stuck in. What can we do to teach our little ones about consent and body autonomy? Yeah. And like, this is where it all starts, right? So consent and body autonomy has to start at home. And we kind of get like a little bit muddled up with this because we want our children to be able to say no. We want them to be able to say, stop, I don't like that. I need some space. And quite often when children are practicing that at home, parents are then like, oh, my kid's so defiant. They're always saying no and never listening. You know, they're just doing their own thing. So when we can actually separate this idea of having to control our kids and this idea of actually raising a human that has their own individual needs and wants, like those two things actually become quite easy. So we want our kids to be able to practice using the words we want them to use as they get older when they're in their safest environment. So when they're in that relationship with their safest person, which is usually their like primary caregiver, either parent, we want them to say no. We want to be able to respect them saying no. And that's kind of that idea of consent. And so we can practice this in games like stop, go in red light, green light, you know, like even in running races, we can make like it doesn't have to be necessarily in the topic of consent in terms of a sexual behavior kind of consent way. But, you know, we can teach it in tickle games. We can teach it in play. And when we're playing with our kids, let them explore their power and their control in play, like let them kind of be the boss so that they can practice exerting themselves and getting confident knowing that when they say no something happens and that is that we stop and we've taught uh, one of my daughters she's nearly four and we've been quite big 
big on teaching her stop, I don't like it is kind of like the phrase she uses if there's anyone pushing her or anything, you know, something mild to something major. But then she has a knack for, you know, those terms, then using them against us in the house. And I can't think of an example right now, but what is it? What if it is something that she really does have to do? Like, you know, for her safety, like putting her seatbelt on or something like that, then kind of using the term against us. How do you respect the fact that she said no, but she actually really doesn't have a choice in whether she does it or not? Really good question. It comes up quite a lot with nappy changing and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, how do I change my kids nappy when they're saying no? Can Um, I give you an example just quickly on this? Because it blows my mind. So Yumi's daycare have told obviously her and whoever they have in the class that, you know, no, these are my private parts. So that's what they've been told. So she comes home and I'm just trying to wipe her ass and, you know, change <laughs> her. Really good job and she's like, doing. no, mummy, no, mummy, these are my, and I'm like, I understand that they are your bits. And to be honest, I don't want to be cleaning them, but I have to, darling. So you've got to allow me to do it. But then she'll go, no, mummy, these are mine. And I'm like, okay, is it too young? Like, is two and a half too young to be telling her? Because if she's coming home to a parent and then the parent's like, uh, I have to change your bum, uh, it's getting quite confusing. Yeah. So what is the right thing? It, it is getting a bit confusing. And I think there's a, early on there's a difference between, yes, these are your private parts, but at some point your parents still need to touch them. And kind of discerning the difference between, like, as a parent, part of my job is to make decisions that benefit this family. You being in my family, part of my job as a parent is to set boundaries around your safety. This is a safety boundary. Like, I'm not going to leave you in a shitty nappy. I'm not going to not wipe your bum and have skid marks all through your knickers. Like, that's not helpful for anybody because that's going to cause long-term infection issues. Do you know what I mean? So, so, but do you explain that to them? Do you say, yes, for example, yes, Yumi, you're right, they are your private parts, but I mm-hmm. need to change your nappy right now? Yep. So I And I would give some choice in that. Like, you can decide whether we do it on your change table or on the floor. You can decide whether we do it in the bathroom or we do it in your bedroom like give a bit of choice back Mm. and some kind of like let her explore that kind of autonomy around that but at the end of the day like that's a hard safety boundary yeah so and the same with the seatbelt like babe I get that you don't want to wear your seatbelt today and you know what sometimes I find them really uncomfortable too totally get that this is about safety and part of my job as a parent is keeping this family safe. But then kind of encourage her and say, but that was really good that, you know, you said clearly what you wanted. Love it, babe. Yeah. Love that you just said that to me. Yeah. Love that you know what you want and that you've managed to find the words for that at a time like this. And there's a lot of talk nowadays with naming genitalia exactly as the proper name is uh, and and that it has a big part in consent. Do you agree with that? Have you seen that that is powerful for kids? Yeah, definitely. And like it's one of the biggest things we say is like to use the correct anatomical language for body parts, mainly because it can't be muddled. Like if somebody says to you, they put their finger inside my vagina, like, okay, cool. We're like, we're on here. We need to do something about this. Where if someone's like, you know, somebody put that thing in my fairy foo-foo, like, mm, yeah, yeah, like, I don't know. You've got a marshmallow or like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know what that means. Makes a lot of sense. Open to interpretation. It kind of gets muddled. The messaging gets lost. On top of that, as a bit of a side note, I've actually sat through many, many police interviews with kids 
trying to get a story out of them that could lead to a conviction. And granted, I was working in the Northern Territory, so there were a lot of language barriers to start with. But that interview process was considerably longer for those kids that didn't know the correct names for those body parts. Right. Because when that goes to court, if and when that gets to court, it can't. It just gets torn to shreds by defence and it doesn't stand up. All right, so pudgies are out the window, I think. Yeah, vagina is in. Vagina, are penis. <laughs> pudgies are out, yeah. So, yeah, vagina, penis, anus, breasts. And the the other thing about that is that it kind of like creates this shame-free culture about it as well. You know, like if if as a parent we can't be comfortable with the word vagina, mm-hmm. how do we get our kids to be comfortable with that? Totally. Yeah. And I'm really conscious on not shaming my I've got two girls and both of them love to be nude. I love to be nude. Like it's, you know, and that's fine. Like I, I you know, I feel no shame about my body or my girls' bodies or my husband's body. But obviously there's time and place where you have to wear clothes and especially my older daughter is getting to nearly four now. So like if we have people over, I mean, I feel like it's not really appropriate for her to be nude. Do you have any kind of ways that I can ask her to put clothes on while still being, you know, because I really don't want her to think that there's anything wrong with her naked body? Yeah. So I think having that conversation about like really simply they're public and private parts. Mm. And if we're just a family, it's okay. If we've got people over and you want to be in a public space, we just need to have our knickers on, you know, like, and I kind of just keep it really simple. Like we don't need to be fully clothed, but like for me, I've got a son and a daughter. And when my daughter was born, he was like just over two. And I can vividly remember him like he's he's also a nudist. Like he'd be running around. So she'd be like a tiny little blob on the mat. He'd be running around in the nude. And then I like caught him one day like standing over her, like dangling. (laughs) He was doing these ones over the top of her with his penis. And I was like, I think we need to create a new family rule around here. (laughs) If he wants to be naked and do naked dancing, that's cool. But it happens in his bedroom. And it needs to be 1.5 metre social distancing from the newborn's face. Yes. But it's such a fine line, isn't it? Because my seven and eight-year-old, like they are, obviously we live in a climate where it's very hot. So they they don't wear a lot of clothes around here when they're at home. And even by the pool, like they'll be doing their like little dance moves that they've learnt or like little twerking or whatever. And they'll be like, hey, mum and dad, check this out. And because we know that that is a sexual move, you know, that's what you see on TV, that's what you see in in music videos, you kind of look at that and think if we had people over and you Mm -hmm. were doing that, that's inappropriate, but they're they're so innocent that they don't actually mm. think that this is. But if when they're twenty one and you're showing them a video of what they did nude at, by the pool, saying, "Hey, Dad, look at this," they'd be going, "Oh, geez, you know what I mean?" Yeah. It's almost like we need to be educated on how to tell them the right from wrong and the time frames that they can do things. Yeah, and it's so hard, it's unfair, but we have to. Yeah, and I love that too, though. Like, I just I, I feel like so much fun has already been taken out of childhood that like I'm all for keeping things like hearted keeping things fun like even as adults like how much fun have we lost you know like how many times do we just throw caution to the wind and we're like ah fuck it like we're gonna go and have a wild day like we just don't do that all that often so I love like I just love that kids live in the present Mm. and they don't worry about 
like how people interpret their behavior. And I think we could all learn a little bit from that as well. So where we can just let them do that, just let them do it. Yeah. Like, and also we're, we're always having conversations about it as well. I think like one thing that's really kind of important to know is that just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean that kids aren't going to learn about it. Mm. So where do we want them to learn about it and what do we want them to learn? So when it comes to sexual development, like talking about sex in an age and stage appropriate way, whenever they ask that question, you know, like where do babies come from? Well, Mm. you know, like even having those conversations in a really age appropriate way, like sex isn't something that we need to be embarrassed about. Like sex is the reason that this human race is still going you know like yeah, yeah. It, it just is and I think when we overcomplicate it and we add too much emotion in it and we we're too concerned about what other people are going to think about what we've said we miss all of these opportunities along the way well I was kind of relieved when my daughter started asking at about three years old it was almost like she did me a favor because we were starting the conversation before you know she wasn't at an age that she could be embarrassed yeah. about what mm-hmm. sex was and I was like oh you've almost done me a favor because I would rather start this conversation and you just know from now on rather than have to have the conversation when you're even able to be embarrassed obviously I will continue that conversation but I was like thank you for asking me now (laughs) and also like that sets the tone as well right like if she can come to you now at three and ask a question about sex and get an answer that's appropriate Mm. and matter of fact and non-emotional like she's going to come to seven and eight and 12 and 13 and you know like if we want her to come with us when she's bigger with the bigger things we've got to be there when she's small for those small things yeah that's really well said on the topic of age appropriate when is it time to put knickers or swimwear on when like you know their friends are coming over and wanting to have a bath or a shower and you know they're all starting to work out bits of bits when do you think is an appropriate time to go all right you guys can have a bath or you can swim in the pool together but you guys now need to wear you know yeah I think when they really start to become exploratory about stuff like that like you know yep you've noticed that your sister's got a vagina and you've got a penis oh weird isn't it you know but we don't touch our sister's vagina if they're having a hard time with that not because they're weird or sexually deviant but because they are experiential curious curious they have no impulse control like oh something different poke you know, not that there's anything behind that, but if that starts to become an issue, then I would just say, you know what, when we're out in public, we just wear knickers. When we've got people around, we've got our knickers on, we put our private parts away. I think also a lot of people are coming to the end of the year. They're going to be around a lot of family. There's this whole thing, you know, like hug Uncle Barry, give grandma a hug before you go and they don't want to and you know they can feel forced I feel like we're the first generation who's kind of said no if you don't want to hug your uncle you don't have to and it still can be quite I guess offensive for our older generation can you give us any tips on how we can have these conversations with our family because I feel like we've all been cooped up for two years and now all of a sudden it's like we're back we're socializing how can we have these conversations conversations and are they important yeah and I think this is gonna this is gonna be a big theme of Christmas this 
year because so many people have been kept apart from their families. So many older people Mm. are going to be, you know, like busting to see the kids and desperate to, I guess, fulfill their own ideas that they're still loved. And that's kind of how they, you know, equate love with that. But absolutely, it's important. We as parents need to be our biggest, the kids' biggest advocates in that kind of thing. And I love this idea of like, we set boundaries for ourselves and for our kids because that's important how somebody else interprets and responds to that boundary is their issue like that can't be a reason for us to drop our boundaries and change our boundaries and not advocate for our kids because another adult isn't able to handle their own feelings like that's kind of how we start to raise emotional intelligence in our kids is that they're not responsible for how somebody else feels. I'm only just learning that now at 34 that I'm not responsible for how someone reacts or how someone feels. And so to know that when you've already worrying about your own little ones, to know that whatever they feel with their reaction, like, you know, they don't want grandma pulling their cheeks and and they've said no. Well, you know, they're just going to have to work that out on their own. We just can't, we don't have time and we can't think about everyone. Like if you carried the weight of your own feelings and everybody else's for the rest of your life, you'd be so heavy. Which I do. Like it just, that just doesn't serve anybody in the long run. So how can we teach that though, but still say like, because obviously we want our kids to be kind to other people. So we, they are in some ways responsible for how someone else feels. Because if they're just flat out cruel to a friend at daycare or something, well, they can't then be like, well, I'm not responsible for how you feel when I tell you that, you know, something, you know, I don't want to be your friend and you suck and you whatever. How can we still want them to be kind, nice, caring people, but also then I, you know, in other respects, they're not yeah. responsible for how someone else feels. So I think feels. that's actually separating empathy and responsibility. Okay. So I can definitely empathize. Like I can say to Grandma Jude, it's fucking, that's hard for you. Hey, when the kids don't want to give you a hug, I get that. Mm. But I'm also not changing my boundary. The kids don't want to hug you. Yes. Yeah. So that's like, I can empathize with Jude about how she's feeling and I can understand how she's feeling but I don't need to be responsible for changing my boundary. So I don't need to be responsible for her feelings at the expense of my own values. Yeah. So I can empathize with her experience and still advocate for my kids at the same time. But my favorite, like my favorite way of doing it. And I, I do the same thing in the sandpit at the playground with the kids, if they're snatching toys or, you know, the same thing, if the kids don't want to hug, hug grandpa Joe or like whatever it is, is like this idea of just narrating the situation. So like quite often, you know, like parents in the sandpit will be looking at me like, uh, are you going to like <laughs> do something here? You know, like, and I'm like, well, the kids are working it out. Like nobody's, yeah. nobody's hurt yet. This isn't getting rough. You know, like they, I, I like to give them space to work it out. So one way that I do that and make it look like I'm not just being a lazy bitch that's sitting back doing nothing <laughs> is to just narrate the situation out loud. You know, like, hey, bud, doesn't look like you want to give grandpa Joe a hug today. I wonder if he might like a high five. You know, oh, you're not up for that either. Okay, well, you know, maybe when we've been here a little while, you might change your mind and that's okay too. That's awesome. I love that. You know, like we're not say we're not giving any instructions to Grandpa Joe. We're not telling him to stop, to back off, to leave them alone. Like we're not we're not saying anything that's likely to offend him. All we're doing is stating fact. We just yeah. just saying what we've seen. Yeah, and it's kind of hard as Grandpa Joe to hear that and not understand the situation that's happening. Oh. And the thing is, right? Like if they're saying I'm uncomfortable with this, and we're like, 
nah, go on, you're going to upset him. Yeah, go yeah. On, go on, go on, go on. Say we get to them being 12, 13, and that's created that pattern of experiences, right? So if we think about like neural brain development, every experience they have is strengthening neural pathways in the brain of how they expect other people to respond to them or how they respond to others, like in, in relationships. If we continue to say to them throughout those early years where those brain pathways are being formed and being strengthened, override how you feel don't worry about how you feel worry about everybody else worry about everybody else whatever you're feeling that's not valid they get to 12 and like I don't know the cricket teacher's a bit handsy or the ballet teacher's a bit fucking weird and they're like nah that can't be right that can't be right yeah I must be feeling the wrong thing like I must not know what I'm feeling like I I must be so confused it must be something wrong with me it seems like a silly um, line to draw but I feel like there's you know repetition in our episodes that we do because it's almost like when we had an episode about fussy eating and it's all about teaching your kids to trust when they're full rather than when they think they're full you going nah just eat a bit more just eat a bit more like so much of parenting is just like helping them to trust themselves rather than telling them how they should be feeling Mm, absolutely and you know what it could like for me anyway it just comes down to control so how can we teach kids about stranger danger without freaking them out? Yeah. Love this question because genuine like real stranger danger is not really something to be all that concerned about. Do you know how many? So if we think about like child sex offences, do you know how many of them are actually perpetrated by somebody that is completely unknown to the family? Well, isn't it something like 90% is people you know or something? Yeah, more than 90% are known to the family. So it's like less than 10%. I think the statistics is about 7% of child sex offences is committed by somebody that's completely unknown to the family. So the idea of like the creepy guy that's got a bag of lollies and a puppy in the back of the van is like so rare that it almost doesn't happen at all. Which is almost not that anything's better than another, but I feel like it's easier to teach your kids to be cautious around strangers than it is to be cautious around people they know. So that makes it, I feel like, even harder. Yeah, and the thing is, though, that it comes back down to trust and it comes back down to them being able to have the confidence to know what they're feeling, so to have some self-awareness around that feeling, to understand their physiology like I know that when I've got butterflies in my tummy I know that when my head starts to hurt I know when my hands are clammy I know when my knees start to shake that something's off so like connecting those experiences even things like you know a good way to take this back is you know like you kid you see kids scaling the spider web right and there's usually like a few different sets of parents and one might be like get down get down get down that's not safe the other one might be doing nothing whereas like that kid's actually feeling pretty safe otherwise they wouldn't be doing it So when we're saying like, get down, get down, get down, that's not safe Mm. or like, be careful, be careful, be careful. We're not actually teaching them anything about listening to their body. So, you know, like get down, that's not safe versus, hey, buddy, that's pretty hard. You have a plan to get back down. Like, yeah, I'm going to go over the top and then I'm going to go back down that other side. Okay, cool. Sounds great. You listen to your body. If you feel unsafe, call me. Do you you know what I mean? Like you can see the difference. What about if they do have those stress responses in an environment that maybe they are safe? Like, for example, they really, really don't want to go to daycare, but like realistically they have to go to daycare. You know, you're going to work. You've got something on. You can't go, okay, yeah, let's listen to that and you can stay with me for the day. How do we kind of like, yeah. Yeah. 
because when we have our feelings like validated and explored and we can talk about them, what we do is help kids to actually process them. When they're processed, that cortisol response is processed and discharged, it stops kids from getting stuck in that feeling. So when kids get stuck in a feeling, that can often turn into anxiety. And that's when we kind of have a bit of a problem. So kids cannot want to go to daycare. And again, like those two things can still be true, like with the change in the nappies and stuff like they cannot want to go. We can explore that and validate that. Like I get that you really don't want to be at daycare today. Today's a daycare day because mum's at work today. You know, like I get that that's hard for you. What can we do when I pick you up this afternoon that we can look forward to? I don't know. What about if we stop at the playground for two swings on the way home? You're going to like that. I can't wait to see you. You know, like we can process, we can explore that feeling and process that without that dictating the outcome. As if it's going to be two swings. Let's be serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they can still learn that the way they're feeling is valid and being listened to, but the actual result doesn't change. Yeah. So when they come to you and be like, oh, like, I don't want to see so-and-so today. When I see them, I get this feeling mm. in my tummy. Like, okay, well, let's explore that, you know. And if it's not an option to not see that person, then, okay, so how can I help you to feel safe when he's here so that we don't get that feeling? Like, oh, well, I, I just want to sit on your knee when we have dinner. Like, okay, well, you know, we can put a plan in place. What if, what if you're not there? Like if they're at school or daycare and they don't feel comfortable going because they don't mm. like their teacher, how do you, like you don't want to dismiss their feelings of being mm. anxious if there's something going on or not and you want to trust your child, but if they're anxious because they don't like the teacher, how do you know what yeah. to do? Do you send them? Well, I mean, I don't think like it's not an option really to not go to school, but I think you can explore that and find mm. out what it is and find out if there's something that you can do about it. Like, you know, is it because your kid has a really hard time sitting still and they keep getting sent out of the classroom? Is it because that teacher's particularly harsh and they don't like a particularly harsh teacher you know like is this just a lesson in everybody being different and can mm. we find some learning opportunities in that or is this a conversation that we can have with the teacher to say you know hey Mrs Smith my kid's having a really hard time sitting still in class is there something that we can put in place to support him you know would it be okay with you if I brought him a cushion to sit on would it be okay if we could do blah blah so that I can actually support my kid to be able to stay in the classroom and get the learning experience that he needs or is this like not a negotiable, in which case where can we find those learning opportunities about differences in people? So, so what if you were suspicious about someone in your child's life? What are kind of red flags or things you can do to kind of delve a bit deeper? Yeah, so it would depend how old they are their age is a stage of development and to explore what like see how specific they can get and how detailed they can get it becomes a really sticky situation and it I don't know the old I don't know a way around this but there's like a bit of a flaw in the system where you almost can't do anything until somebody's already been harmed mm -hmm. you know unless you think it's grooming in which case in some states that is an offense and it is something that's worth notifying police about because it starts to create a bit of a portfolio about somebody like they know they may not be able to yeah. act on that information but they can record it always keep it factual so anything about emotion about feeling like oh I just don't know it just seems a bit odd 
God, we need to be able to create some kind of fact around it. So, you know, is this person hanging around at the school gates and they've got no kids? Is this person an uncle that's been asking to spend some alone time with the children? Is this perhaps a professional or, you know, like, is it a teacher that's keeping one child excluded at the end of school and keeping them in a classroom by themselves? Is that a little bit odd? If we can't go direct to that person and say, hey, I've noticed blah, blah has been happening. Are you able to chat to me about that? Can you explain? If it's not something we can go direct to the source about, can we go direct to perhaps their line manager or a different member of the family and say, you know, like maybe you could go to a sister-in-law and say, hey, when so-and-so comes over, my kids have been saying they feel a bit odd. Like have your kids said anything? Create like Mm. start to create this bit of a picture, like what is actually happening here and try and kind of filter out a few facts. And if there isn't like a specific person in your life that you're, you know, suspicious of, is it ever worth prompting your kids just to like make sure everyone's doing the right thing? Like do you ever say to your child, oh, does anyone touch your vagina? Yeah. I don't know. Like, like, or is it like, you shouldn't just randomly prompt it. And we sound so awkward saying it, but to be honest. I'm trying to use the right word. No, words. but it's just, it is such an important topic. And we, I think the more that we open up and understand how we can communicate to our children and understand these situations that do happen and not sweep them under the rug, the better yeah. for, for everyone's sake. So yeah, what do you? And have? I would say, you know, like I wouldn't be eating a chicken schnitzel over dinner and be like, "Hey, babe, you know, no one's allowed to touch your vagina." Has anybody done that mm. to you? You know, but there's lots of opportunities. Whether you know, you could be in the changing rooms at Kmart trying on some new things, and they might, you know, be saying, "Oh, Mum, really need some new knickers." You know, okay, like that might lead you down a bit of a path towards having a conversation around sexual safety. You know, like a bit of a roundabout way of getting there. But there's lots of opportunities. It can be maybe have a bath together. It could be while she's getting in the shower it might be at the swimming pool it might be going to the doctors or you know like maybe you're going for a pap smear you know babe I'm going to the doctors today for this thing where the doctor's going to have a look like inside my vagina he's trying to have a look in here you know and explaining to that the doctor's allowed to do that because that's for my safety and that's important that's going to keep me healthy so like that kind of has a conversation but then the actual part you just keep like as direct as possible and you don't want to put words in their mouth like the other day I asked I had a conversation with the girls on the way home from school I said hey does any teacher like any of your teachers like touch you like girls or boy teachers cuddle or you know do anything like that and they'll pull out names and be like like, oh, I get a cuddle off so-and-so and I cuddle off this. And I'm like, yeah, and what about anything else? Like, oh, so-and-so taps my head and it's so annoying. And then I'll say, well, if you don't like someone tapping your head, you know you can tell them to stop because mm. you don't like it. And they were like, oh, and I'm like, but is there anything else? Like it has, you know, anything else sort of happened? Mum, if someone were to touch my ass, I'd tell them to piss off, dickhead. And I'm like, righto, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got what I need and we're <laughs> moving on. That's what I wanted to know. Um, yeah, definitely. And pe- like kids are always going to have these conversations, right? Whether they have them with you or they have them with their friends in the playground or they have them with somebody else, like they're exploratory learners. Like they're always going to be exploring boundaries and exploring what things do and looking for reactions in things and like, you know, testing what kind of conversations they can have with people and making these conversations just a general feature of your life, like really just takes away that kind of surprise, you know, any kind of time that you can say, 
babe, did anybody ever touch your vagina? Like they're not going to just make it up for the sake of it. If the no. answer you get is, we fucking talk about it, mum. That's weird. Like, okay, no worries. But if that ever happens, you can always come to me and let me know. You know, like where's the harm in that? You're never going to be worse off. Which is why I also like the fact that we get to an age where we say pop your undies on because when you're in public or we've got people over, that's just not what we do because then if something did happen down the track, they know, oh, hang on a minute, no one should be actually looking at me if I'm not at home in my safe place without my undies on. Do you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it just gives me the creeps, the whole thing, like having children and then having to think about creeps and having to think about anything that your children may go through. Actually, I feel physically sick. Mm. Like it is a hard topic. And I think as well, like, you know, it's one of those things I was actually going to say, it's not that prevalent, but it's one of those things that's really hard to actually know how prevalent it is in our society because- that you have the number of suspected cases, then you have the number that get reported to police that actually mm-hmm. make a report, then you get the number that actually have enough information to go for an investigation, then you have the ones that actually get to court, then you get to the ones that actually get a conviction. And the attrition rate is something like out of that bottom number of suspected cases, like the actual number that get a conviction is like 3% or something. Oh my goodness. That's disgusting. So, 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 so low. So, you know, and people are often like, I want to know where the sex offenders live. I want to know if they're on my street. I want to know if they're at my school. I want to know all of these things about them. And actually they're probably not the ones that you really need to worry about because they're not very smart. They've been caught and convicted. Yeah. Yeah, if it's gone all the and way to the top. And this isn't to, obviously, as we said, this isn't to freak people out. This is just to say yeah. that, yeah. But also, like, to actually just broaden the horizon a little bit and be like, you know, we can't control everything that our kids do. What we can do is set the foundations for our family values, you know, our commitment to getting kids building their emotional intelligence, building their emotional awareness, separating like this idea of what we thought parenthood was going to be and like separating this idea of the kids we thought we were going to have with this idea Mm. of like actually this is the human that I've got and like they're their own human that will grow up and be their own human and I can just give them the best I can but I can't control everything else. And what about secrets? I've heard more of a kind of push towards we shouldn't even encourage like secret telling in our family even as a fun thing because then like offenders can use that as a way against our kids to be like oh you know like it can be our secret and that seems fun yeah so secrets I would always discourage but you can have a surprise okay so at the end of a surprise everybody always finds out and the outcome's always good you know we might have a surprise it's somebody's birthday and, and we've made mm. a cake and we don't want them to know about the cake. It's not a secret because they're going to find out. So we're just going to keep it a surprise. So we'll let them know when we're ready to give them the surprise. Yeah, okay. So, so surprises are always fun. The outcome's always good and everybody always finds out at the end of it. Whereas yeah. a secret, we're deliberately like keeping stuff behind. So like another one that comes up quite a lot is like, you know, kids will go shopping with dad and dad buys them ice cream and chocolates and stuff. Like, don't tell mum it's a secret. Like it's our special secret. And, you know, like it should never be that like mum and dads should be or parents, whatever kind of family structure you have, 
those two co-parents should be a team yeah. and we shouldn't have that opportunity to play each other off. No. We're a team. This family is transparent. We really value honesty in our family. You know, as an example, you know, it's a special treat from dad, but we can tell mum about it. Yeah. Okay. And is that a similar in terms of like someone for our kids to confide in? Do we help them like create that or do we just let them naturally work out who they like to confide in? Yes. So one thing that has kind of gained popularity is this idea of the safety network and the hand. So like choosing five people on your hand and this being kind of like your inner circle. So like I might have mum, you know, I might have my family here. I might have my teacher. We might have a local police station. We might have the healthcare centre or a GP. Um, You know, we might have an uncle and a grandma that's kind of like outside of our standard kind of family circle that's safe. And then so how is that structure used? Yeah, so so asking kids, like, who do they feel safe with? Who would they feel safe enough to tell things to? And could we let them know that they're one of your safe people and if they say something to you, they could let me know? So if mm. there's something you don't want to tell me about, perhaps you could tell one of these people and you could let them know if it's okay for me to know. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. You know, so we're, we're getting things off our chest and we're kind of like we're taking ourselves out of that picture as well. Like we're not so proud and so like, you know, full of ego that it has to be us that knows mm. as long as those kids feel safe. Yeah. The other thing about secrets is that when, and again, like I don't mean to alarm anybody, but when we look at grooming, that's actually quite a lengthy process. And as that kind of relationship starts to build there are lots of secrets involved and quite often that relationship that starts to build for kids can actually be quite positive so they may get treated very special they may get lots of attention they may get gifts they may get little treats that they don't normally get and all of these things like they're going to keep that a secret because they want to keep coming back for it they don't know like they don't know what this person's yeah. long-term plan if they don't know this relationship mm. so not keeping secrets of any kind is just the safest thing to do like we just don't keep secrets and so do you say like if someone asks you to keep a secret I'd like you to tell someone who you feel safe yeah if somebody ever tells you that you have to keep a secret you let them know that you don't keep secrets and you'll be telling your mummy and daddy oh yeah that's a good yeah that's a really good one yeah my mummy tells me we don't keep secrets so I have to tell her what you've said yeah okay and someone actually wrote in saying how do we know when to believe our children as they feel like their child is always telling fibs and I feel like this is such a great question because I feel like from the outside it's so easy to say, well, you always believe your child. But when you have kids, you know the reality of how many porkies come out of their mouths to get what they want. So yeah. how can we make sure we're believing the things we should be believing and maybe, you know, sifting through the rest open-mindedly? <laughs> yeah. And I love this because kids can spin such a good yarn. Like, they can tell such a good tale, you know, and and also like when a kid tells a story that you know flat out isn't the truth and if truth and honesty is a value of yours, like you're going to be triggered by that. You're going to be, you know, so fixated on the fact that your kid has just lied and how dare they that it's really difficult to get past the fact that they've just lied. Mm. And so depending on how old this kid is, quite often, like, I guess kids lie for a number of reasons, right? So their fantasy thinking and their imagination is fucking wild. 
And so like, if they've got a bit of a story and they'll just add a few extra bits to it and then it gets kind of crazy. And then like somebody that wasn't even there was kind of there in the story and like, you know, that that's just like, it's not true. But <laughs> a unicorn appeared out from under the bed. Yeah. Or, you know, like my kid will bring a toy car home and he'll be like, no, that's that's mine. Mm. Well, I, I've never brought that particular toy car, so I can guarantee it's not yours. It's like, he's trying his luck. I'm like, good on you. Do you name the lie? No, not at his, He's three and a half. Like for him, I'd just, like, he did, he's just so obsessed with cars that he's just going to try his luck. Yeah. Like, babe, that's not yours. We'll take that one back tomorrow. Yumi picked up Bluey the other day from daycare and um, I said, do you want me to take your doll home so you don't have a fight with everyone over it? She said, no, but you can take this one home. I'm like, that's not yours. She said, take it home. Take it home. I'm like, Keep no. this one safe from the person who actually owns it. <laughs> Stash it in your bag, mum. Get out. Yeah, go. Um, yeah so they lie like this fantasy and imagination is wild and I like for lots of other cognitive development reasons I love when kids start imagining like that's actually really exciting for me they need to test the leadership quite often like they're looking to see whether or not we're sturdy enough to not get rattled by their storytelling you know are we confident enough that we are kind of like leading this ship and we're not rattled by these stories and we can like filter through the crap without shaming them around it or they are actually feeling shame and embarrassment about something else so they're covering it up Uh, yeah yeah okay or they're fearing what might happen if we find out that they've made a mistake Mm -hmm. so quite often it's actually getting to the back end of why they feel like they need to lie so you know maybe that's like a bit of an indicator that we need to look at our discipline strategies a bit more Mm -hmm. You know, like, are they fearful of us? In which case they're going to be making up stories to cover yeah, things right. up. right. To See, not Billy, get in trouble for something. Billy, when she was five, we had a friend over and they were throwing stones and he broke a glass panel and she was so worried that he was going to get in trouble that she said she did it. And it only came out a few months later that she said, I, I never did that. I just didn't want him to get in trouble. And I'm like, okay, that's really kind, but you can't take someone else's blame because you didn't do it. And probably quite good that she's obviously not scared of you enough to not take do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if she was petrified yeah. of you, she would have been like, absolutely yeah, no, that's throwing true. you under the bus. I'm not dealing with that demon. Yeah. I'm way what too a great lax. conversation to have as well. You know, like I wonder why he felt like he couldn't do that. Mm. You know, I wonder why he felt like he couldn't take responsibility and like unpacking that a bit more. I think, you know, this really great way of like developing kids to accept mistakes is to make them. And you know what? Like none of us are fucking perfect and that is not what we need to aspire to be. But we all want to know that we can recover from our mistakes. We're going to make them. Mm. You know, like I'm going to be a kid that throws rocks. Like that was me as a kid. Zero impulse control, like living in the moment, like... Even now I'll like play wrestle with my son and then I can feel myself. I'm like, I'm getting carried away here. Like this is going to go too far and someone's going to get hurt and it's probably going to be me. But I'm, I'm getting a bit hard. competitive. Do you know how hard it is though when you want to get the truth out of a child for doing something and you know that you're going to be furious when they say that they've done it, but you've got to be so mindful because you're asking for their honesty and that like for me is more important than whatever the hell they did. So whenever I say, okay, you've got a choice to tell me the truth now or if you don't tell me the truth now and I find out later that you haven't told me the truth, 
I'm going to be a lot angrier or you could tell me now and I will feel I will be upset but I won't I'll be proud that you've told me the truth and so we've been going through this really fine line of oh well I may as well just get it off my chest now because if I leave it I'm going to feel guilty and if after I do that then I've got to tell mum and then she's going to be really mad so it's actually been working quite well to say but you've just had to swallow your fury. No I do I have to swallow <laughs> my fury I'm like okay I'm really upset you did that but I'm also really proud that you've told me because I know how hard that would have been. But for God's sake, I tell you, it is so hard as a parent to do that because you just want to go, oh my God. Yeah. But also extending that to that next level and be like, do you know what? If you tell me now, like we can actually work this out together. We're not going to be stuck in this forever and we can problem solve. Like you can help me to come up with a solution. You know, like what an empowering way for them to be like, okay, cool. I fucked up and I can fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And I get the opportunity to try again. Like that's fucking cool. Rip the band-aid off. Don't let it sit. Yeah. Like you can you can tell me now and we can work it out. One thing I read the other day, I can't remember where I saw it, but it was pretty cool. Like a lot of children are really fearful of making mistakes and they get to school and they don't want to make mistakes. And so like building that emotional resilience to mistake making is really important as young kids. And I think like a really interesting kind of exercise, say if they spill a drink and they're really like, oh, I've just spilled a drink and feeling really crappy about it, is to get everybody just to stop and close their eyes. And then when they open them again, to notice that nothing happened. Why did you clean it up? No, like like nothing bad happened. Like it was just spilt water. Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking about the mess and I'm like, did you secretly <laughs> clean it up? And everyone's closed their eyes and you're like, <laughs> no, they have to come up with a solution. Well, like the water spilled. So they're like shitting their pants and you like everyone just stops to take a breather when you close your eyes. They're like, oh, it's just spilt water. Like it's still going to be there in five minutes time. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't need this great big reaction. Yeah. Everybody gets time to kind of reset and then we can say, all right, okay, well, the water's still on the floor. What could we do about it? I've gone too far the other way. Poppy just does everything and she goes, that's okay. That's her favourite. That's okay. And sometimes I'm like, but is it really okay? Like I'm the one who now has to, I mean, I guess. Is that what you say though? I do, like, yeah, like, you know, if she's like eating something and her clothes get really dirty, I'm just like, that's okay. We can wash them. <laughs> but now she all the time just goes, even if someone else does something, she turns to me and she goes, that's okay. <laughs> that's fun, Pop. Here's the mop. Yeah. 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 I'm like, that's okay for some. Because that's okay. Here's the mop. <laughs> can I ask, given your background in, you know, what you've worked in and what you've seen, will you allow your kids to go on sleepovers? Yeah, good question. So I think my husband said to me when we first had kids, something that like created a massive reaction in me and I've had three years to think about it now and I wouldn't tell him, but I think he might be right. And his thing is like your job as a parent is to prepare your kids for the world, not to protect them from it. Yeah. So I could say, no, my kids aren't having sleepovers. No way. What learning opportunities am I missing by not Mm. allowing that to happen. So yes, I would put things in place. I would always let my kids know that there's no pressure for them to stay. They can always come home. They can always call me. I'll always go and pick them up if they don't think they want to actually stay, if they've changed their mind, that kind of thing. But I can't, they're never going to not have sleepovers. And I think- you know, I I don't want to be the the parent that has a kid that's having to sneak out. Yeah. Because I'm not allowing them to do the things that all of their friends are doing. You know, like I can distinctly remember being a teenager not being allowed to do stuff. I was like shit faced down the mainstream of the town, calling my mum out of a payphone box to say like, "Hey, I'm back at my friend Natasha's house. Yeah, we had a great dinner. Okay, bye." And then we were like, Woo! 
you like that with? Yeah. Fucking payphone rang. She'd rang the number back. Like, oh, <gasps> hello. She's like, why are you answering your friend's phone? I know. There's no point. There's you have to, and that is the importance of parenting, of being having this open communication and then feeling comfortable and not scared to tell you anything. Yeah. So I would want to know where they are. I would want to know who the parents are. I would want to make sure that we had been around there, that you know, like that they were actually a good friend. It wasn't somebody that they just met down the street. I'd want to know who was there, you know, whether they had older siblings, yeah, what the sleeping arrangements were. Like, yeah, I would want to know that sort of stuff, but I wouldn't want to stop them from doing it. I'd prefer to focus my efforts into the bits that I can control and into mm. the bits about you know, teaching them autonomy and getting them to understand their feelings and trying to build that kind of emotional intelligence around it. Because I feel like that's coming out more that it's your older siblings of friends and stuff, you know, like, I mean, I've seen lots of people in their adult years speaking about their childhood saying, and I feel like that's another tricky caveat because it's like, I don't know, like they probably just think, oh, that's another kid. Like, But what if that kid is just really, you know, overpowering and and they have to do something and Mm. I'm going to have a panic attack. Yeah. So I think... Yeah, that's where these conversations need to happen. And also, like, don't be afraid as a parent to ask that other kid's parent questions around what their plans are. Mm. You know, don't feel awkward going in to have those conversations because your kid's going to be embarrassed or because you're going to be embarrassed or because you're going to feel like you're invading that other family's, you know, privacy or whatever they've got going on. I think it's important to actually go in and just be like, hey, you know, yep, happy for my kid to come over and have that sleepover. What's the plans? Where are they sleeping? Mm. Who's going to be here? Is it a great big family do when you've got heaps of people over? Absolutely. Like, in which case I'm out, you know, like in which case we can we can make another plan down the track, but it's not going to be tomorrow. Or are you going to someone else's house and whose house is that? Like you just don't know. Yeah. And surely if it was completely innocent, no one has any issues in answering those questions. Yeah, exactly. And if you're getting shady answers, if you're getting unclear answers, if they don't have a plan, you know, then maybe you could re reevaluate whether or not that sleepover is going to go ahead that day. Or that that maybe that person can come over for a sleepover so your child feels comfortable. Yeah. I would always rather it be at, at my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, again, like I know that that's every parent probably thinks the same thing. So I know that's not going to be the case. So where can I put my efforts and what can I control and where can I put my focus is kind of where I'm going. Well, I think that's enough for today. Um, We'd love to get you back another time to chat all about child safety online, but we don't want to overwhelm our listeners with too much information all at once. But this has been a massive topic to cover and you can see that we are a little bit thrown. Shell-shocked. Shell-shocked, but I... I th- it's just important. Like this yeah. is so important to to talk about, to listen to, to understand. And I thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing all these things with us. And I can't wait to have a discussion about online because my goodness, that is going to be a long one. Yeah. <laughs> and thanks for having me. And yeah, I hope all the listeners have found that kind of insightful and helpful and has given a few things for them to sort of think about and Yeah, I mean, keep your babies close, but keep them informed and keep yourselves educated and, yeah, keep empowering 
empowering yourselves to set those boundaries and and hold those boundaries at difficult times. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sarah. And if anyone wants any more information, you can be found on Instagram at Secure Foundations. Yep. Fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.